Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, keeper performance indicator. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com. The quote is by the former CEO of Ford Motor Company. He says, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance a lot less. <laughs> change is essential for us to make buildings that last, let's say, 100 years. I just saw a statistic that we have 130 million homes in the U.S. 65 million of them need significant retrofit. I mean, new windows, exterior cladding, and a lot of things to change. And so we look at how can we build buildings that are better lasting and hold on in the future. Good morning, Mark. Well, welcome to the Brad Levitt Podcast. Welcome here well, to the Builder Show. Nice to be part of it. Nice to be at the Builder Show for the uh, 25th year, I think, as I've been here. <laughs> so what a, what a great show. You've been here a long time, and it's going to be a big year this year. So Yeah, another big year. Yeah. So tell us about some of your schedule. You have a lot of things going on this show. Yeah, we got lots of talks going on. I think the, uh, you know, when you look at a conference like this, there's so many places. There's over 400 lectures going on in different parts of this show. It is a great place to learn, to be a part of our industry, watching it grow, share ideas, because, you know, when we get back to our market, we, we don't have a chance to do that. And here's a place where you let everything go in terms of learning, similar to what we do at the Contractor Coalition Summit. You know, one of those events where they come together and we learn in a, in a much concentrated way. What a way to go back and, and really kill it. So what are you seeing? I mean, right now we're going to be walking the floor later this week, both you and I. We're here at the LP booth today, this morning, to kind of kick off the show as we kick off at 9 a.m. As you go through, you're seeing products change. I know here specifically in the LP booth where, you know, a lot of products are carbon negative. Uh, you know, there's a huge push for sustainability, and you're seeing codes change. You're seeing requirements change. The technical side of construction is changing. It makes it tough on us as contractors to be able to educate and train and make sure we're installing the product properly. Walk through the wave of what's happening, why it's important for us as builders, designers, architects to really understand what's being produced and how we can integrate that for our clients. Yeah, that's a great and loaded question. Of it course. is a loaded question. Yeah, because if you figure that the code change, so now we're at the 2021 is being adopted all across the country. 
And we look at the 2021 code, it is now looking at buildings in terms of high performance, net zero ready, tighter construction, issues about, we look behind us at these all these innovations of flame and fire, uh, air tightness, all of these things are now coming to fruition. This is 40 years I've been having these kind of conversations. I've never seen such a remarkable growth and a attention to what does sustainability mean? What does energy efficiency mean? Air quality and health in buildings. Uh, there's a lot of things coming together at this time and this show is showing it everywhere. And in the booth we're in, they're talking about sustainability on the sides of the wall. I think it's an exciting time to say, how are we gonna change and adapt our business to being ready for what the client's expectations are at the same time code is driving things yet our greatest challenge is the trade base right yeah you know you you just mentioned this side about training who's going to help you when you hire a, a, a carpenter and you're like you know how to do this right a guy goes i don't even know what you're talking about so that evolution yeah. of trades to what we see at the show has got to happen so walk us through i mean you have a really good quote about if you're resistant to change you'll have to say that if you haven't memorized i've heard you speak oh, and you mentioned this quote but you've seen the industry change a tremendous amount. So maybe walk through that quote and why you're so such a big proponent of change and why we have to get familiar with it. Well, the, the quote is by the former CEO of Ford Motor Company. He says, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance a lot less. <laughs> and I think that the uh, evolution of this industry is that you're going to have, we're going to have to adapt. You know, when you look at what you've done with the coalition, I, I look at how the audience of builders changing the way they build, say, I don't want to build a house that isn't efficient, durable, healthy, safe sustainable, uh, aesthetically pleasing, all those things got to be part of what you do and you don't get it by automatic, right? It doesn't come off the plan, interior designer doesn't bring that to the table. You have to be the one that puts those details into it. So a place like this to see innovations in insulation. Behind us is the uh, booth for Panasonic and they're showing energy recovery ventilation is the biggest, uh, an enormous booth about how that works. So healthy air quality. If you look at that evolution, change is essential for us to make buildings that last, let's say a hundred years. I just saw a statistic that we have 130 million homes in the US. 65 million of them need significant retrofit. I mean, new windows, exterior cladding, and a lot of things to change. And so we look at how can we build buildings that are better lasting and hold on in the future. Well, this is why going back to the summit, you know, last night we had our event to kick off. I think we had over 200 people at the event. And what's amazing is we've had you as a keynote speaker every session, you know, that this has been in existence with the whole purpose that the one thing that's tough as a builder is it's really hard in itself to be a business owner, right? No doubt. And, and people that have listened to me on the podcast have you know, heard this so many times that we're business owners that happen to focus on construction. Right. So that's a key element is understand how to run your business. And then you add the complexity and the risk. And as you mentioned, industry going to net zero and sustainability and building science and there's you know, waterproofing and you know, water is our biggest enemy as builders. You walk through all these aspects of it and you, Mark, I mean, this is why you've been such a good proponent because you've seen builders, you've consulted builders, you've seen where they've had challenges, you've seen the mistakes. Just before we get into the sustainability and net zero where the industry's going, walk us through where you see most builders struggle. Maybe the, the oversight, maybe it's lack of training, things that they're missing at, you know, strap and shear to when they're wrapping that envelope and closing the building. Like, where, where have you seen builders fail in years past? Well, that's a great question, Drew, and I, I think part of it is that what what are you using in terms of a time frame where you focus on the details that matter? So let's say that there's four key times. 
you know, prior to insulating the building, you've got to walk around and say, is all of my details done right? Are all the details on the exterior done properly? Is the weather barrier in place before I put siding on? Before I insulate the wall cavity, is it ready to accept insulation? Remember, once the insulation is on, you look at the building and you're like, yeah, it looks fine. And then before you drywall, do we go back and say, is the air sealing in place? Is all the insulation in the right spots? Sometimes we just look inside the building and go, oh, good, the drywall's been loaded, I'm good to go. And you're like, no, 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 wait. Go back in, and I always figure you've got to have quadfocals. you got to be walking in every time and looking around. Instead of we, what we do is we get enamored with our phones driving the attention. we got to go in and say, How, what am I looking for today? What is my focus at the moment? How do I make sure that I can only make this choice once? Is my shear in place? Is the nailing correct? Is the weather barrier in place? Is there caulking at the bottom plate? Do I need to bring that as part of the strategy? So as we evolve to better buildings, we have to evolve our training to follow that. And look how difficult that is. Where do you go to get training for your team? Where does your team go? And uh, where am I going to go learn my particular craft? You've got PMs and site managers that are supposed to know everything because the trade base doesn't. We've specialized our trade so you're like, I'm a framer, I'm an insulator, but nobody's looking out for the last guy. You know, if you look at all the old carpenters, they were telling me the other day, I talked to a guy, he goes, when I was a carpenter, I would always look forward to the next trade. How can I make sure I put a piece of blocking for the guy that's gonna put the trim on? That doesn't happen anymore. The, the, the trim guy might come in and goes, I can't put this, the trim on, I've got no blocking back here. And like, so do we plan for each trade's future and do we get them together enough to say, what challenges am I creating? Is there anything that I could do to help you? And you're like, yeah, every time I come in, I've got to do these three things to get my job ready. So that costs you more money. So I think all of these things are kind of breaking down the components of what we do into pieces that we can then manage individually so it's not overwhelming, but that it's that everybody's got a task to play. I think our trades want to do a great job. They just don't know what that is. Right. And we haven't defined it for them. The guy goes, I've been doing plumbing the same way for 30 years. What do you want me to do different? You're like, I need you to pay more attention to details. It's interesting because you and I are very the same. I think very much the same as far as we kind of look at problems, right? Is that we understand there's an issue, the trade labor's changed. It's not gonna get better for a while. Like we've been making this push, but we're solution oriented. You and I are very much optimistic in the industry and where it's going. You, you mentioned that builders, the risk that they have, the understanding they must have, and, and you give a good example, and I know we don't have visuals here on the podcast, but you, you'll show areas where you have all these different connection points with multiple trades working on this, and it's just really uh, uh, an opportunity for mistakes to happen because a lot of our, our trade partners will come in, they're worried about their scope, and there's so much overlapping and coordination between the two. So where do builders, as they're looking at that continued education, you know, I want you to talk about construction instruction, the purpose of that. We're here at the build show. There's going to be live demos. There's products, that, as I mentioned, the LP booth that has solved some of these. You know, behind us, I mean, we have the LP Weather Logic, which we installed on your house. We had a house that we just finished with them. And so this is, an, you know, it, it makes it really easy. It saves yes. time and process. And, and it makes it a lot easier for us as a builder to install this product that's still performing a shear. But now, you know, with either the ceiling or the LP tape, we can go through and we can you know, waterproof it. So it's really creating a barrier proof system for us. But for you, where are you seeing builders with this continued education, you know, to enhance their brain? That's a great question. You know, if I look at, look like you mentioned behind us, we're looking for product innovation to help speed us up. You're like, how am I going to get an air barrier on? You're like, it's okay. These companies are coming up with a strategy to help speed up uh, weather barrier and air protection. So I seal the teams and I've got that. 
the education side is for manufacturers supporting in the field. We've got to invite them in more often. Say, guys, today LP is going to show up and they're going to show us some details. How do we get the trades to then be supported? Manufacturers want to come out and help. LP wants to come out and help the industry succeed, but we've got to invite them in. Well, we did at uh, Construction Instruction, we have a, a facility in Denver, Colorado, and it's a training center where we have builders come in from all over the country. We have a lab that we do all kinds of research. We have 34 different mock walls. But every time a builder comes in and, and walks through, they go, I don't know these parts. Let's just we'll use one, one example about what you told about durability and failure. As we thermally insulate the walls, that means that they have a, a harder time drying. So we're not really thinking of it that way. The old buildings were leaky and drafty. And they leaked water and they dried out fast, we didn't care, especially where we live in Arizona. Now we insulate them well, if they leak, the building begins to rot. And we're like, <laughs> so what do we gotta do? Make sure it doesn't leak. Mm -hmm. So we're not used to that, even in Arizona. It's always like, it only rains eight inches a year, except when it rains more. <laughs> and uh, so I think part of it is to say that as the building evolves, the trades have to evolve. We have to commit to training on an ongoing basis. I got one really quick story of a, a good friend of mine's son worked at Frito-Lay. And he said, uh, well, do you guys have to do any training on the, on the uh, potato chip line? He goes, every three months. And he goes, isn't it all automated? He goes, absolutely it is. But all of a sudden, after three months, we start watching the gauges change and the stuff goes, and we're throwing the potato chips into garbage. We realize that continuous education isn't something you do once. Mm -hmm. You do it ongoing. Every three months, you get everybody together and say, guys, are we doing this right? How many times do you look at a job site and you're like, little mistakes, you go, God, I thought we were past that. But part of it is just continuous ongoing education has got to be part of how we build complex buildings, 30 trade contractors. Sometimes the guy that shows up on Monday is different than the guy that comes on Tuesday. So we have to agree that as this evolves, we can't give up on making better buildings. I think that's a really good point, Mark, because if you take that analogy to any industry, I mean, you look at athletics, right? What, what separates the gray from anyone else in sports? Well, they, they continue to do that same, look at Steph Curry, right? And, you know, I'm a big sports guy, so he's going to continue to shoot these really tough shots over and over and over in marketing, right? Any business with marketing, you're going to have to continue to hit those seven points of sale or more, and you have to be in front of the client. I've seen it for me as a builder that people will meet me, oh, Brad, you're in construction. I mean, they don't really know what that is until they continue to see posts on LinkedIn or Instagram and the content we're putting out, and it's like, okay, this makes more sense now. But with builders, it's very much the same that for us, it's, you know, with our trade labor we have to understand that there's a physical element, mm. right? There's not automation like the Frito-Lay you gave. And even with the automation side, you still have to check gauges and you have to check the mechanical sides and make sure that everything's running properly. But when it's physical install, you know, they could be dealing with a breakup. They could be dealing with, um, you know, maybe one of their child that's having an issue at home. I mean, there's personal stuff. There, there could be bills to be paid and they may not be on top of their game, right? And so there's a safety side, there's a practicality side. And we have to, as you mentioned, the continuing education and monitoring and watching and training and instructing, that's why it's so important for builders to be involved at that level. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what we often do is we're always pushing for cycle time, right? So we're looking at saying, I need to speed things up while the trade base is going, just, just get it done, just get it done. I see people load the drywall um, while the insulators are there. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, wait, isn't insulation, you get one chance at this. So let it all get done, check it, and then uh, agree that the drywall can get loaded. The insulator goes, how do you want me to get the insulation back there? Just shove it down with a stick. So I think part of it is that we want to speed things up and that we also want to manage cost. And cost is a real thing. We have to remember that cost drives a bunch of decisions, but how can we be more efficient at what we do 
and build a better building that right sizes, let's say, HVAC. We also have that great challenge, right? We watch all these improvements happening around us, but the HVAC industry might not uh, right size the equipment. So you're like, I wasted money there while I tried to save some energy over there. How do I manage all of those parts and pieces? And it's a really tough role. Building houses, I think, is one of the most complex businesses anywhere. You're, you're hurting cats sometimes, and, and, you, and I, I get a chance to work with your team. What a wonderful group of people that are always engaging with each other and learning. They're here at the show, walking the booth, asking questions. That's how you play the game at the top. But you bring up two points, and I think this is something we all struggle with, is when you look at building, and you mentioned the complexity, but at the core, there's cost and there's schedule. And costs have not been favorable in the last few years to That's any right. of us, especially since you know the pandemic. You have schedule, which also hasn't been favorable. There's clients on the other end that want to get it done. And I think at the core, and this is just being open about us at AFT, and I think many builders can relate, is that it's really easy to drive, drive, drive. Get the people there. Okay, I got my bodies here. I got roofers here. You know, I got my mechanical team here. But now it's like just because they're there, like are we checking it's right? I mean, you'd have some good case studies on your build, Mark, that – they're there, but now they're doing something they shouldn't be doing or cutting into something they shouldn't be cutting into. And so this is where, you know, at the core, it's, it's interesting. And really where I'm going is that I was speaking to some architects early on in my career about, okay, what separates good builders from everybody else? And the common theme was they said they're superintendents. Yeah. And, you know, the back inside, a lot of companies do struggle to some extent, but they'll, you know, some of them are pretty good. But really, that super in the field is going to make or break the project. Absolutely. And, and this goes to what you're speaking about today, that here we are at the Builder Show. There's products here. Understand those, that repetition. Go to con- construction instruction. There's, I, I love the lunch and learn where the vendors will come in. We've had, I think we have production meetings every month. You came yep. and spoke to our team. Yep. And we're bringing vendors in so that we can instruct and understand each specific task that's going in from the manufacturer so that we know when it's installed it's going to be done properly. Well, you brought up a really good point. You know, JobSoup, I've been on projects where I watch a job supervisor that makes sure everybody picks up after themselves. They're very articulate. That trade comes in and they go, yeah, this is Bob's project. He's super picky about stuff. Just make sure you do it right. I watch another project where I watch the uh, site soup walks up, smoking a cigarette, and he flicks it out into the house. And you're like, that just set the tone for the trades. We have to also show what matters to us. One of the guys said, he goes, yeah, I have a trade contractor that left the pop can in the wall. And he called him at 5 o'clock on Friday and said, get out here and pick it up now. Because by Monday, it better not be here. I could pick it up, but I'm not going to pick it up. And that trade then realized, walk away and turn around and go, did I leave anything? Is the site clean? I could have a role to do that. When, the, when your site soups put that, that process out there, they know that you care so much. They're going to make sure your job gets extra attention. Not more money and not get paid more. And in fact, it's actually going to be more uh, productive for them to be incredibly efficient. And if you pu- we push our trades to do better, which they want to do. Nobody wants to walk away and go, God, I did a crappy job on that house. They want to walk away and go, I'd sign my name to that work. And so that's what we have to do is we impart on them that quality matters, doesn't cost more. It's just attention to detail. Spend five more minutes and go look around. Did you leave anything? You know, I, I remember finding tools all over the place. I find <laughs> there's a screwdriver and a guy's caulking guns laying on the ground. You're like, stop and say, am I doing a good job? And is my site soups making sure that what I said as an example is what I'm going to get.
This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Our clients have worked with the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom Scottsdale on nearly every project. They make the process so easy for us and our customers with either an in-person or virtual consultation. They have dedicated consultants to answer questions, provide helpful solutions, and offer advice and assistance. When you are ready to embark on your kitchen journey, reach out to the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, Scottsdale, who will tailor an immersive, rewarding experience just for you in their stunning showroom. Gather ideas, ask questions, and imagine how your dream kitchen might come to life. All catered to you in a low-pressure and highly inspiring environment. View an array of options and see what they look like in full-size kitchen vignettes. And attend a chef-led demonstration to see and taste these appliances in action. It's interesting because I look back and uh, I know Ryan, who's here with our team at the show, and he's out here in the audience listening, but he had an, uh, an experience where our framers, just to give them a little kudos, they, the crews out there had left some debris, they had left some drinks. I mean, it's hot in Arizona, so there's going to be an absurd amount of water bottles typically on the project in the summer. And he made a call that, hey, it's Friday, you know, I have clients who are going to be walking this, and they went right out there, apologized. And the reason I bring that up is a lot of builders will continue to ask, Look, Brad, it's so hard managing all the things we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? We, we love what we do, but it's hard work. But how do you keep a job site clean? That's where the biggest struggle is. And really what it comes down to, and I, our team, we talk about this all the time, that it starts expectation, just anything. If we have clear expectations from day one with that first sub that's on site, here's what we expect when you're done at each workday and at the end of the week. Here's how the site needs to look. And if you start it from the beginning, you can continue it throughout the progress. True. If you try to start it, you know, it's hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube midstream. Yeah, you're right. I, I think, as, you know, we look at our clients coming over to the house. When they walk around and they see it's cleaned up, they see things picked up, they're like, well, they really care about my house because they forget it. We forget sometimes that it's their home still, even at that rough stage. And they look at that when there's pop cans and stuff laying in the wall. They're like, I wonder if someone's going to clean that up later. And when it when everything looks good, it just feels better. And I, like I said before, it only takes a minute. And when you put that 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 out there, I want you to walk away from this site like it was your house. What would it look like? And you're like, you know what? You're right. I I owe you that. And that doesn't cost any more money, but it sure takes an extra effort. So sometimes you just tell a trade. I want you guys to stop 10 minutes early, clean up all your stuff, sweep up the dust, sweep up the, the sawdust, and leave the site looking good. And I've been on projects where I saw a builder that that was their process. Every time I walked in, I go, did you guys know I was coming? Did you just clean up? And they go, no, every time it looks like this. Yeah. And I'm always like, wow, what a, what a difference. 
if it gets away from you, you can't catch up, like you said. You got to do it every day. But all of a sudden, about a month later, you're like, I could never clean this up. You got a great guy that walks some of your job sites. Uh, um, Can or Cameron? Cannon. Cannon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a job! Yeah. This kid just does a beautiful job of cleaning up, and I think that you've put that resource in place to say, make this look like you want it to look like. And what a job he does! It's just such a difference. You don't have to have him do that, but he chooses to do that, and he's exceptional at it. Well, thanks, Mark. Now going back to case study, I mean, you mentioned. And, and this is where it's important. So a mutual friend of ours, Matt Reisinger, who's here at the show, he's, you may have a competition who's speaking more, or you or Mark, I'm not sure. Oh, but, no, Matt's got me. Or you or Matt. Beat, yeah. But um, Mark and Matt, you know, the competition, who's going to be speaking the most? But he came out. We did some YouTube content when we were at Rough Stage, right? Right yeah. before we drywalled. And it was interesting because, of course, Matt has a great platform. You know, he's really big on building science and sustainability and has a great following. And what's interesting is that after that video posted, the amount of people in Arizona that reached out and said, we didn't realize that there's product, net zero product going in Arizona. Yeah. And so kudos to you, Mark, for you're out here for the last, I don't know how many years you've been in construction. I'll let you speak to that, 40. but you've been, 40 <laughs> years, you've been a huge proponent of the trades and building. And here you are building your house that lines up with everything you've been speaking for 40 years. And people see that. And now all these people are inspired in Phoenix to be building to this caliber that you've done on your house. Yeah. Again, you know, walk through how that can be done. That a lot of people, you look at your house, it has 70% glass on the exterior, 60, 60, yeah. 60% exterior glass, and you're hitting net zero. Just kind of walk through that inspiration and design process that, that started. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I, I was at a lecture last night on building tightness, and they said that Phoenix has the, uh, of, of all the states that they've surveyed in terms of air tightness, Phoenix is the only state that has yet to meet the base code requirement <laughs> of three air changes per hour. Sounds so about right. So they showed all the graphs, and all of a sudden you're like, Phoenix was like, had never gotten to three air changes per hour in terms of tightness, and that's the minimum code for us. So when we look at that kind of evolution, I think that, Phoenix is a place where we have 12% increase in, in energy costs last year. So we got to realize that the cost of energy is an, is an important thing. Everybody goes, well, it's just hot, and uh, air conditioning is a pretty big deal. So we're watching all of the states, regardless of climate, California, Vegas, um, uh, cold climates, warm climates, moderate climates, all realizing that climate plays a critical role. And in a booth like we're in now, all of their strategy around climate is, how do I make sure the sheathing, the subfloor, everything lasts in the rain? How do I make sure the air tightness of the building works and it lasts? All of the pieces about what we're trying to accomplish means that in Arizona, I built triple glazed windows, well-insulated roof deals, details, uh, ICF walls, airtight buildings, insulated slabs. And early on, people were like, why would you do that? And I'm like, just watch. And so when they got done, I'm like, all I did is meet the 2021 building code. <laughs> and they're like, so that's what we have to go to. And I'm like, exactly. All we got to do is the 2024 is going to require many of the things that we did. We saw that uh, there's a, a window company here that's going to announce a builder grade triple glazed window now available in a, in a moderate level for production builders. So when we watch this evolution, look at we got a product above us that's got sheathing with insulation on it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have your crews, the framers are going to put the, the sheathing on at the same time insulate the outside of the building. So now you said, did that speed me up and improve performance? You're like, it was a win-win. So you have to be able to adapt to those things at the same time your trades go, now what am I supposed to do? It's okay. The LP guys are gonna come out, they're gonna show you how to put this on because it's building code and it's the next stage. So instead of putting your arms across, go, I don't wanna do that, go like, how can I be really good at this? And the trade contractors that excel at that will find themselves excelling at business because they're gonna have builders like you and the other builders in town go, I need that guy. 
I don't want to have to coach you. I want you to know what am I going to do today that's different than what I did yesterday. And you count on that, right? I'll pay you fair. I'll pay you every month. But you've got to be at the top of your game. It's funny you bring that up because I, Dan Geis was on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And with Dan, you know, he builds in Colorado. He and I met for the first time at EBA, right, at the EBA conference, Energy yeah. Building Alliance. And, um, you know, he's only doing net zero product. Right. And, and you think to take this stand that I'm only going to build to this level, are you going to have enough work? Is there going to be demand? Because as it stands, you mentioned that there is a window manufacturer that's going to be getting to the production level. But as a whole, just like any new technology, it takes a little bit of time for that sure. cost structure to kind of align with the realistic nature of bidding and estimating and, and for a client to, you know, where the budget and everything lines up, right, with the expectation. And so as this evolves, there's going to be more of a de demand, which increases product, and it does get there, but it's hard to take that stance. But as you mentioned, the, the industry's going there, and why aren't we going to try to stay ahead of the game by right. advancing to that level? Well, i got a great case study for you. So there's a builder in Denver, Colorado, um, and Colorado's a home-ruled state. They have no state building code. So a builder called Thrive, Thrive Homes, he decided that I'm only going to build net zero houses. It's the only thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to take a risk. I believe that I'm going to put that only thing on the street, and I believe that there's enough buyers to come and buy it. Last year, he built the largest number of net zero uh, um, rated houses in the United States. So here's a guy that has no state building code making him do that, but he took a stand and said, I will only build houses at that protocol. His houses started a million, go to two and a half million. He's got three communities in, in uh, Fort Collins, Denver, Colorado, down in Colorado Springs. And he just said, as soon as I put on the street that I'm only building to this level, there are people that go, no, I'm looking for the lowest cost per square foot, not what you build, because that's not the market you want. So if you said, I just want great clients to have a great experience, if I put that product on the street, will they come? Because you've already turned down clients, right? You're like, I just want buyers that want an extraordinary product for all the right reasons. If I put that as my baseline, will I get customers that want that? And I'm like, absolutely you will. So we have to take that stand to realize that if it's nothing more than the future code, you know, we look at Arizona, we have City of Phoenix on the 2009, City of Queen Creeks on the 2021. Imagine that, that's the same city and they're 10 years apart on code adoption. <laughs> so what you gotta do is just go, you know what, I'm just gonna build to the 2021. I think it's the right code, it happens to be 2024. So I'm gonna build to that and you can tell your clients, I only build to the current code of the day, even though it's not adopted yet, I believe it's the right code to build to that. And they're gonna go, well, of course, that's what you should do. I didn't know my house was going to meet the 2009 energy code. And you're like, yeah, but it's what's in place. You're like, I don't care. I, I'm going to build the house to the code of the day. And that's an interesting stand that I think a homeowner would go, that's what I want. I want a builder that cares about my house and where it should be because I don't know. You're the pro. I don't go to a doctor and go, so what are you thinking? And he's going to go, this is what I think. And you're going to go, nah, I think it's something else. And right there, we're going to go with the best recommendations. And you have the power to do that. You say, this is what I think is the right thing. I'm the pro. And they're going to go, then do you. What I love about that is that this is where social media actually plays a huge role, right? With social media, you know, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, the podcast. The reason I'm bringing up, I had Casey Smith on while back with LP on the podcast. Yeah. And in that episode, we're speaking about the Tech Shield Radiant Barrier that we're using on many of our projects. And your house specifically, you know, the flame block we'll talk about. We had the LP WeatherLogic Air and Water Barrier. When I was speaking with Casey about this, I have clients that listen to podcasts. These clients are calling me. We're under construction <laughs> saying, Brad, do we have LP Tech Shield on our roof, right? Has that been specified? Is the LP WeatherLogic Air and Water Barrier on the exterior? They're asking for this stuff. 
many of them, I mean, they're not builders, you right. know, they're, they're running their business. And so it's up to us to educate them. How can we do that through these platforms? And when they see it, they want to put it on and speak to your house specifically. Here you are in a desert condition, yeah. exposed to a ton of private acreage on the backside or public acreage, right? Yeah. That's not going to be built on. But why you did LP Flame Block for that reason? Yeah, when I, when I look at the idea that we have the wildfire, the, the wildland interface, Awuli, um, we look at those kind of things in the, in the in the U.S. We're looking at these wildfire areas, and it's starting to increase the amount of acreage. We're seeing more and more places. But if you look at Santa Rosa in California, that's that city that burned to the ground. Yeah, it was not wildfire interface. We look at Colorado, the city that burned down to the ground. That was not wildfire interface. So if we look at that and say, what is the potential in our marketplace for a wildfire to start in the canyon? So I'm backed up to the National Forest. I'm not expecting local firefighters to fix this fire. I've got the Forest Service that's going to have to fly in and fix the fire. Is there a risk that if the fire came up the uh, the wash, am I at risk? And you're like, absolutely. So I put flame block on the outside underneath my cladding and just to make sure I've got stucco and flame block to say, I want the time so that when the Forest Service manages the fire, it didn't damage my house, my studs are fine. To me, that's a simple investment to go, what's the chance of fire today? And you're like, pretty high. So what steps would I make? When we look at the price differential between conventional sheathing and the flame block, conventional sheathing and the radiant barrier and the roof deck, we start looking at the numbers getting close to say, what are the net benefits? You're like, improved performance, better comfort, more durability, less risk to fire. Yeah, I want to do that. And the differential in cost, how many clients would go, no, I'm okay with fire. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> care if it comes through. It's not that big a deal. And the radiant thing, it probably is not that big a deal for energy. All of them would say, well, yeah, aren't you doing that anyway? And you go, yeah, we'd do that anyway. So I think we'll see this evolution where the client is expecting that kind of performance because it's not their job to figure out what's the right thing to do. I, I love that because clients are expecting that. I mean, for us too, it makes it pretty easy. I mean, you speak about the radiant barrier, the tech shield with LP. And what's interesting is like, who doesn't want an attic that could be up to 30 degrees cooler, right? right. Who doesn't want to block, you know, up to 97% of that radiant heat? We can hear in the background, you know, they're doing the sledgehammers right now against yeah. the LP smart side. We have, we build on golf courses. That's part of living in Arizona. You know, golf balls are an issue. We had a client that was really concerned about living on the fairway and where his house was, every single tee shot off of the tee box would somehow wind up in his yard. And so you have manufacturers that are one step ahead, not just from the building science and from the envelope, but also from durability and warranty. And as you mentioned, a two-step process where instead of bringing multiple trades, this goes out to the beginning of the conversation that you have multiple trades, this just opens up opportunity for finger pointing, mm -hmm. issues, mistakes, if we can eliminate some of those, right. saves on time and finger pointing and risk that we all carry as a builder. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when I look at the, the amount of innovation the manufacturers at this show have created, all they're waiting for is us to adopt it. So we always are, have to be careful, right? As an industry, we don't want to be guinea pigs. I don't want to take something on it five years later, I go, yeah, I shouldn't have used that. So we are the guinea, pig, guinea pigs of the industry. But if you look at a product and a process, and you're like, that makes sense. They've got five years of history. This is a concern I want to make sure I, ma I, I manage. Now that LP goes out to the, the dealers, their lumber yards, and say, guys, you just got to bring this product, and then you've got availability. Price tends to decrease then, right? So we got to make sure if all of the builders in Phoenix required um, weather logic on their buildings, it would be what everybody would do. Price point manages, trades know what to do, and they come back and tape the seams. You're like, that's how you create 
a movement into an industry, I, I think we're at what we call a tipping point, right? They say anytime a marketplace gets beyond 20% adoption, that's considered to go over the tipping point. I think our industry is there. I think we're looking at efficiency, durability, sustainability. You know, you mentioned that. Do you think there's any clients that care about carbon? and care about sustainability, they're going to go, Brad, of course, do you do things to manage carbon? You're like, absolutely, here's the things that I do to lower carbon emissions. I'm going to make your house more efficient because there's embodied carbon, what it takes to make this stuff, mm -hmm. and LP's trying to get to zero. The, the user carbon is really what happens in the field. What happens to my house, how much energy will it use? You're like, you're going to use one third of the energy, which means your carbon footprint's also lower. It's not just what you built with, it's going to, how it's going to operate for the next 50, 100 years. So those are really nice things that you've taken yourself and other builders listening, take yourself to the level of saying, I'm going to build an extraordinary product that my children are going to be proud of that I've made a step towards building durable, sustainability, efficiency, health and safety. Those are fundamentals, it's my job, and I'm gonna make sure that happens. And you've been such a big proponent of this, Mark. I mean, I've been in meetings with you as your consultant, I've been with you in the design process on so many projects, and I've seen how, you know, there's this old antiquated, uh, you know, 400 square feet a ton right into a house, and you mentioned this as it relates to energy and carbon, and you look at like your house's design where you're a thousand square feet a ton, right? And right. so the amount of energy and condensers and cost and in Arizona when that's running and now you have solar and there's these different elements that again, they're gonna benefit energy usage, usage which impacts you know, so many different elements. And for decades, you know, we use more energy, all the energy we use will far and away eclipse the, the amount of energy that was used and carbon used to build the thing. Yeah. So my responsibility is for the next 100 years, I wanna have one third of the energy production because I'm gonna be able to meet those performance targets. And oh, by the way, the cool thing, my energy bills are gonna be half of anybody else. So I win the day I move in. So I've got, what's your return on investment? Every single month, my bill's lower. I think that's a return. What's my return on, on uh, on my Corian, right? On my countertops, what is it, uh, Cambria? What's yeah. my return on Cambria? <laughs> and you're like, well, it just looks beautiful. You're like, I know, and I love it, but I do I have a return on it? And you're like, no, but your building is gonna give you a return every single month. What's the reduction in your kids having health issues and respiratory issues? Uh, my son has asthma. You put a, a, a kid in the house, you're like, yeah, I have less abuterol. I'm not taking a ibuprofen or whatever it is to make sure that I don't have these problems because I built a better product. And that's a return on client satisfaction and carbon and efficiency. Well, and not only can you be at the LP booth this morning and see some of the products, but we see some of the fans out here. We have Greg and Ryan with Dippin' Dots. So you can actually come get some Dippin' Dots you can see some of the product. I mean, what can go wrong being at the Biller Show? No, I don't even know what Dippin' Dots are. That's really, a, I think it's an ice cream thing. No, it's just uh, ice cream. Yeah, so you want some Dippin' morning, Dots, just come to LP booth and you can have some Dippin' Dots as we're here for the show. Totally agree. Mark, consulting wise, you know, walk through now. I mean, you've consulted some big national billers. You don't have to name them. You've done some very custom consulting. Area of focus recently, where has that been? Where are you really targeting working with client, owner's rep, builder, you know, on the areas of focus? Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. I, you know, I think most of the people are under the assumption that an architect, which you know, just draws the plans. We understand that that industry is really struggling to make sure that the building works well. So that ends up being the good, they go like, look, at, I'm gonna draw this and it's gonna be beautiful and I'm gonna be in a magazine. How it works, I have no idea. So we look at architecture, AIA has started to reduce their contribution to looking at the site. They're just like, I gave you the plans, you figure it out. So I think what we're gonna see is this beautiful evolution of us taking on 
the role of accountability to the overall product. And what I'm seeing is architects and builders asking questions, what insulation should I use? Should I cathedralize the insulation and put my ducts in conditioned space? Should I look at ventilation equipment? And if I did, what would that look like? Where do I put the, other, where, the air barrier? Do I put on the inside or the outside or both? Should I use Tyvek? Should I use uh, WeatherLogic with Tyvek? I don't know what to do. So we have walking them through these strategies to say, in the end, now I'm gonna, need, gonna inspect that and check it. But now I've got to get your HVAC guy in because you brought up a great point. You do all these beautiful things and the HVAC guy goes, yeah, I'm going to do what I've been doing for 40 years. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Look at the things I've changed. I need you to size the equipment properly. You're like, yeah, but I don't know if I can trust you to do the right things. You're like, oh, I did the right things. All of the things that you need to have happen, I did. So I want you to take that into account. All of a sudden you watch the HVAC bill go down and the contributions that you invested in are covered by those reductions in performance expectations. So I would have had two full-size uh, five-ton air conditioners in my house. I have one three-and-a-half-ton. Did that save any cost in that approach? And you're like, yeah, so where did that go? And you're like, well, it went to pay for the better insulation, to put the details on the air barrier, the ventilation for air quality. Those things were then paid for through reduction in complexity of mechanicals. So I think we have to make sure that somebody's doing that trade-off, and that's hard. So when I consult builders, I'm like, don't forget to ask these questions of your trades, and I'll ask them but uh, it's an important ask. It's really important, and, and one of the value adds that I'll give you a little shameless plug here, Mark, uh, not only construction instruction where they can attend, but Mark, you yourself, will come and meet with builders and help them create a list of standards and organization. I know one thing that was really important, and you know Ben, who's with us, and we've been trying to work with him and Spencer on creating some standards for AFT, right? That right. we want to build to this level. We want to get to this, you know, this level of product. We want to work for this type of clientele that expects this, right? And one of the value adds that I tell our clients, when you bring a builder on early on with a designer, with an architect, is now you have the core team and you can design the house so that not only are you taking budgeting consideration and finished specs, but you're also looking at the building science elements. And, and, and I always tell our clients, one of the value adds is as we're meeting with architects, we can work through these specs and engineering and you know educate the engineers. You mentioned that sometimes it's easy and we're not throwing all engineers under the bus, but it's easy for them to go back to what they've known. And there's so many different options out there. And so we bring, we brought Mark in just being open to the audience here. And Mark came in and said, here's what you need to look at from a vapor barrier underneath the slab. You know, we're going to stay going. You know, we're going with LP and all these brands that we have a relationship with that we're putting in all of our homes. Well, now this is a standard and we can sit with our architect and designer and engineer because we understand it right. and we can sell it to our client. And it actually is a benefit for us as a brand to have this information. And Agreed. again, you're helping builders do this so that they have something to stand by and they actually understand what's going into the house. Yeah, there's right now there's four national builders. I mean, the largest builders in the nation, four national builders that have committed to build net zero houses by June of 2025. So if a production builder can do that, we better make sure custom-wise we can kill that, right? And so the production builders are saying, that's the product I better put on the street. When we look at the ESG scores, the environment, the, the social uh, aspects, and the governance, that's the ESG scores. All these national builders are going, I've got to do a better job of managing the product that I put on the street is going to have to have lower carbon, lower energy. As a custom building industry, we don't want to get eclipsed by those guys. We want to be better than the production builders because the production builders are going to set a tone that they can't go any other way. They're more at risk and liability and they're a bigger target. But we as an industry have to do it because on the custom side, we want to demonstrate that we're building a product that nobody can compete with. 
So good luck at doing this on a on a uh, on a you know, production side. But what we do on a on a custom side is stunningly beautiful. I mean, your houses are breathtaking, and the fact that it could be breathtaking and perform so extraordinarily well—that's a beautiful combination. Your clients go, "That's why I picked AFT." They care about my house, my health the durability of it. Everybody goes, people with a lot of money don't care about energy. And you're like, of course they do. Of course they do. <laughs> yeah, they don't they want to do. have, they don't <laughs> pay you APS, yeah. uh, you know, two grand a month. They're like going, it's amazing how it feels that every room's the same temperature. Uh, that's what they're looking for is comfort and peace of mind. So if it's not economics, it's comfort and peace of mind. So I think that's important. It's funny because clients typically don't make their money by throwing it away. No, that's right. Sure. And yeah. So that's, uh, you know, throughout the whole building present building process, you figure out those things are really important to them. From you, Mark, I mean, fortunate, we've been using LP for a long time. Uh, essentially, really was connected with them through your build, you know, a lot of collaboration we've done. Walk through, you know, when did you get introduced to LP? How has that relationship evolved over the years? Well, we've been working probably with LP for probably the last 12 years. And what they did early on is they just said, we want to learn what building science means to, to something like OSB. Yeah. Uh, we, all we do is we make wood, so why would we have to be involved with building science? So they looked at this and said, if we're gonna be competitive in the marketplace, we need value add. And so they, they make great OSB, but they were like, well, what if our subfloor, uh, like like the product we're standing on right here, the, the legacy subfloor is, is amazing. Legacy is a great product. And you put this down and you watch it get rained on and it doesn't swell, it doesn't warp. You're like, uh, LP said, well, we can make regular OSB, but what if we improved it? What if we put a weather bear on the outside to improve air tightness? You know, your houses are being exposed for a year, you know, uh, uh, 18 months, they're sitting out oh, in yeah. the weather. So you're like, so I'm gonna put on the weather logic, tape the seams. Remember old OSB when it sat for 18 months? It looked terrible. Oh, we've seen it. It swelled up. Recently. It ter yeah, recently. <laughs> so it looks terrible. So you're like, so I'm gonna put this on so that when I go to do the next weather phase, the, L the sheathing is still in great shape. That means the building was tighter. I didn't have rain blowing through every time it rained over the last 18 months of open construction. Those are all net benefits. Now when you put the radiant barrier on the roof deck, the workers inside on a hot sunny day aren't as hot. So you're like, I take care of my workers by putting them into an environment that's going to be cooler. They want to work at AFT houses because with the with the uh, um, the uh, tech shield, I don't have that un unbelievable level of heat gain. So now I'm working with my trades at the same time I'm working with my client base. Then they came up and said, well, what's going to be the natural tendency? The code says exterior insulation has to be done in every climate zone. So you're like, so what are they going to do? They come up with a product called Novacore and they're attaching um, insulation of the OSB. The framer's gonna go, so you mean I'm the guy that puts on the insulation? You're like, exactly. Yeah. You're gonna put the sheathing on at the same time the thermal layer that goes on the outside interrupting the heat loss through the stud in one step. So they're making your system more efficient at the same time improving the building performance. So here's a pretty remarkable company that said we could just make OSB and walk away or make really good products that demonstrate that OSB is more than just a sheathing. It's fire protection, thermal protection, water protection, air protection. That is a really unique approach that they've taken. And I give them a lot of credit for being that forward thinking in the industry. So that's why they deserve to be, we're under the globe of the, you know, the world is sitting <laughs> floating above us. I'm really hoping it's really well held up there. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's a remarkable booth to watch them demonstrate that it all matters. It's funny you bring up the OSB because going back to, I mean, you could have an inch and a quarter all of a sudden get super wet and now it's two inches, right, two and a half exactly. inches, it's like ballooned up. And we've seen that before. That, I, I love the LP legacy. Um, you know, Arizona, we don't get a ton of rain, but we do get rain and oh. it's hot. And water and heat do funny things to wood, as we they all do. know. Other parts, 
of the industry and other markets, you know, where they're dealing with rain all the time. You know, and that's why at the, at the core, I mean, these things are so valuable for us as builders to understand, you know, you bring up the health with that, which I think is really interesting. We had an analysis done, we, you know, from our HR company, they came out, they met with Spencer and I, and what was interesting, he said, look, Brad, it all starts in California, as we know, but California is going to like a workplace standard over the years, which means even in construction and manufacturing, that there has to be a temperature controlled climate in the winter and summer for these people working out. And that, if it's gonna start there, at some point it's gonna hit us. And you mentioned, well, with Novacore and you mentioned with TechShield, you're creating an environment where now the workers now have actually an environment already that you're already aligning this. We know it's coming. So with California, we already know it's happening there, that they're already creating new work environments that's gonna impact us. And that's why working with brands such as LP are gonna allow us to already have these conditions, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, you, you think about any any manufacturing facility that would put their workers in a situation where the temperature is going to go from 30 to 120, and they're <laughs> going to have to work in there. No, yeah. nobody would let that happen, right. right? So we know we're building outside. It's okay. But I, I looked at you brought up a really good point about this, uh, the OSB. Have you ever tried to power plane swollen OSB? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it's terrible. So we got clients that are now picking hard surface flooring. We're not putting carpet over everything. You can hide it anymore. So now the hard surface flooring needs to be put on a surface like uh, legacy and so do you get that done you're like I don't have to power plane my floors it's got a 50-year warranty against swelling up those are really important steps that you go like but Brad how many steps did that save you in the future and you're like you know what four months from now I'm gonna have an absolute disaster when I start looking at my trade contract that comes to put in the flooring they're gonna go what do you want me to do with that and you're gonna go uh, how much is it going to cost us to fix it? He goes, I'm going to have to sand the entire OSB floor down. Maybe we'll have to put another layer down. You're like, I wish I would have used Legacy. And I, I think we don't think about that as, as the short time frame that we're in. We're like, just put OSB on instead of saying, just put better products on. So the workers deserve to be in an environment that's healthy, safe, and durable. Clients expect that at the end. And what you're delivering to the marketplace is an extraordinary product that you know, your kids are little kids. When they grow up, they're going to go, my dad built some of the most amazing houses you can build in Phoenix. And when somebody goes, yeah, I bought, a, I bought an AFT house, that's going to be a, a brand that rides with you in the future. And those houses will sell for more in the future because the effort you put into the front side reflects the efforts in the other sides. I've been in marketplaces where Chicago, you, we bought a Johnson house. Uh, it's built by a builder that everybody knows the guy who's extraordinary. That house has higher value. So what we put into it on the front side, the way we care for our workers, the way they stay with you. I mean, how valuable is a trade contractor that you really like and really delivers every time? You're like, I want more of those. Well, how do you build that? And you're like, I'm gonna build trades that stay with me, improve their business. I'll help them grow, pay them efficiently, but I need to know that they're gonna take the next step up. I wanna make sure that when they're done, they're like, you know, I love working with AFT, not only because they pay on time, which is minor, because they care about what I do. They're so proud of workmanship that I like working for that. I don't like going to the production stuff where they could care less how it gets built. I want to work for somebody who gets done. You go, by the way, have you ever had a framer that you looked at his work and gone, really nice work, and looked at the framer and go like, what a hack. And that difference alone is to say that the, the framer that wants to do a nice job gets done and goes, do you see what I do in terms of all the details and framing and backing and blocking and nailing and, and, and securing things? That feels really wonderful to that trade. And when you emphasize that, they stay with you. They want to work for you. Will they give you a competitive price? Absolutely, because they want to work for you. 
So it's not just about price, it's about who do I want to work for that makes me at the end of the day go, man, I love working for AFT. It's such a good example. It's funny that you bring that up because I had a specific framer that, <laughs> you know, you ask them, are you going to straight edge? What are furring strips? Or where are your fur strips? And they look at you like, what's straight edge? What are furring strips, right? <laughs> I don't even have a level. Yeah. It's not like we're working with, you know, LSL studs here. Like, this is not great lumber right. in most cases we're getting. But what's interesting about that is that when, whenever you have, and I look at it from my lens as a general contractor, when I'm hiring subs, if I feel that I have to babysit them because they're not going to drive that quality, our clients feel the same. You get to the point where they lose trust that if they don't feel that us as a general contractor are on top of the schedule, we're not on top of the budget, we're not on top of the trades or the quality, now they feel they have to micromanage and that trust is lost and it's right. really hard to rebuild that. If, right. if you stay in front of that and you're communicating, if you have the framer that's like, the minute it goes up before they've even done any pickup framing and they're walking through with a eight or 10 foot level and they have furring strips and he's checking and he's marking the floor and saying, hey, my framers will be back. It, it's just, there's a peace of mind there. There's a level of quality and why not build to that brain? Well, that's a great point. Imagine if a framer walks away and he goes, by the way, I checked everything for square and all the studs that were crooked, I replaced those before you have to call me to have me replace yeah. them. Isn't that more efficient for his time? He goes, when I come out, I have a list of things that I go through so I don't have to wait for you to call. Hey, can you call it, come out and straighten? I got like 15 studs that are all crooked. Yeah, I saw those last time I was there. Well, then why didn't you change them? or don't put them in. Remember when uh, framers used to crown things, right? They used to crown framing. Yeah. They used to crown the flooring going like, I crown things because I care about the quality of the work. Right. If we have crappy lumber, you're like, I'm gonna go with LP uh, LSLs because I can't find a straight floor <laughs> joist. But but if you look at a trade contractor that takes that kind of care, he goes, Brad, you know, 10% of the lumber I got, I had to throw out. And maybe you can use it somewhere else, but I couldn't use it, it wasn't straight enough. You'd go, yeah, thank you. You wouldn't go, nah, use the crappy stuff. You'd go, no, I appreciate that. Can you cut it up and use it for blocking? Can you put it in places behind a cabinet that I'm going to use as a nail base? Please be efficient with the material that I bring out, but if it needs to be stepped up in quality, let me know, and I'll call my lumberer and say, hey, you got to get me a better number one grade in the material so that my framer can do a better job. Less waste, less dumpster hauls, and a better product. You're like, where does that save money? And you're like, at all of those steps, our money saving. So what do you do for fun? Uh, uh, work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you I, do work I, a lot. I, I love what I do. Well, but I, I don't I, think you travel very much, though. No, uh, not very much. I mean, no I flights. 140 last year. Yeah. 140 I, flights last year. But my uh, oldest son was in town the other day, and we, we went out and played soccer and kicked the ball around, and we played Frisbee. And I was like, what a blast. He got done. He goes, remember when we used to play Frisbee all the time? I'm like, yeah, I love that. So hiking and uh, enjoying uh, Arizona is such a beautiful place. People think it's a great big desert. It's not. It's, it's a so remarkable beautiful. place. Yeah. And I feel really fortunate to be there and that I now live there because of the home you built for me is exciting to just go home. It's fun, funny you say that because I'll talk to people. I, granted, I grew up in California and, and I knew some Arizona, not very much because I never came to Arizona. But, you know, I'll tell people about the lakes we have here and ski resorts and they're kind of staring at you like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you have this perception of Arizona, but it's incredible and you know appreciate the relationship and mark does travel a lot and for those listening um attend construction instruction contact mark is if you're looking to elevate your brand wealth and knowledge you're going to be speaking i know this is the first kickoff of the builder show the first event this morning you're speaking seven times yep. throughout the next couple of days yeah go listen to him I, I i i'm not just saying this because you're here i've told mark this many times 
I could sit there and listen to Mark all day. You do such a great job presenting and educating. So well, thank you, Ken, thank you enough for making time and what you do for the industry, Mark. It's a great plan. Thank you for doing what you do. I mean, this, this social media change is one of the reasons why the market's changing. We never had somebody speaking continuously about quality and performance. The Contractor Coalition Summit has changed the game for a couple hundred builders that you've elevated quickly to build a better product and a better business. And I think if we get better businesses that build better product, imagine the speed at which what you're doing does matter. It's not just doing podcasts, it's really changing and learning. You, you're so good about saying, here's what I learned. I didn't do this well, but here's what I learned from it. And all of us have to share that learning experience. You know, we, we uh, there's a great quote that says, we must learn from the mistakes of others because we can't possibly live long enough to make them all <laughs> yeah. ourselves. So and I true. think that that's part of it. Now you're sharing with everybody, but don't do that. Yeah. I did that, it didn't go so good. And they're gonna go, thank you, I was about to do that. I appreciate it. That's the platform you've created to allow builders to listen to you every day, share what you're learning and way to go. Well, thank you, Mark. And I, I agree to the mistakes. I'm trying not to make as many more, but there's still a lot that I've done. But it's a for, for what it's worth, Mark will be with us at the Coalition Summit in May in Minneapolis. We had an event last night. Come out. Business, marketing, building science with Mark. Everything's there. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.